Buckle up, because we are about to do something we've never done before. We are in part 14 of our series at City Church. First time for everything. I'm, man, I've loved this series. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit bittersweet as we come to the end of it, because I've enjoyed it so much. I know I've learned a lot. I've grown as we've journeyed through the book of Ephesians. If you're with us today for the first time, we've spent the last... 13 weeks going verse by verse through this little bitty letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to to these churches in a place called Ephesus. Um, And we've been studying each verse and and, and trying to apply it to our lives. The first three chapters were very Godward, very theological uh, about who he is and what he's up to in our lives. The last three chapters have been very outward, very practical, very how are we supposed to live? How do we relate to one another. Um, And so as we go to the Word today, if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to find Paul's with the NIV title is the final greetings. Uh, The Apostle Paul, in most of his letters, he's very famous for for closing his letters this way. He starts to give some shout outs. Uh, He he starts to say some specific things to some specific people. Um, he, He lets them know how much he loves them. What's interesting is actually in this book, he doesn't shout out uh, a whole lot of specific names. Uh, if you remember all the way back to week one, if you can go all that far back in this series, we found that this letter was written to be a circular letter, that, that it would start at one church and go to the next church and to the next church. It wasn't just specifically to one church. And so since it started that way, Paul didn't make it as personal as many of his letters, but he does have some specific things he wants to share with us. So he says in verse 21, Tychicus The dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord will tell you everything, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. One of the things that Paul often did, and really anybody who wrote letters back then, um, they didn't have the U.S. Postal Service. They didn't even have the Pony Express. Uh, They had... People who would carry the letters for them. So, man, they they would find somebody. So Paul got this guy, Tychicus. We don't know a whole lot about him. We know that he is a dear brother, that he's a faithful servant in the Lord. He's somebody who is serving Paul and serving the church, serving the Lord. And so Paul said, hey, I need you to deliver this letter. I need you to travel from where I am in prison in Rome. I need you to cross the Mediterranean Sea and go to what is now modern-day Turkey, to to the church in Ephesus, and I need you to deliver this. And so he takes this letter, and he does this, but Paul says, I don't just want you to carry the letter. I want you to carry my heart. I want you to share with them how much they mean. I want you to share with them what God thinks of them. I want you to, to encourage them in the faith. And so we don't know what that conversation looked like. We don't know how many stops Tychicus had to make. But we know he showed up carrying this letter and carrying Paul's heart, carrying messages from Paul that were separate from what was just written in the letter. Verse 23 says, Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So so Paul has some, some final wishes for them. He says, man, I want you to have peace. How many of us could receive that this morning? says, peace to the brothers and the sisters. Man, he covers it all, right? Man, that, that we would have peace. And he says, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I love that Paul recognizes his place, that he actually gets to stand as a representative of God. Which, by the way, if you're a Christian, you're a representative of God. You're his ambassador. And he says, so I'm not just sending this from me. I'm sending this from him, and I'm sending you his love. 
sending you love with faith from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he wraps it up with this in verse 24. He says, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Now, now I love the way he phrases this. Because he doesn't say to all who love our, our Lord Jesus Christ with an unwavering love. He says an undying love. In other words, man, he recognizes that sometimes my love for him is going to be a little bit higher. And sometimes my love for him might, might dip a little bit. You guys know what I'm talking about? Now, I'm not the only one who's ever experienced this, right? That, that sometimes, man, he is number one on my priority list and all I can think about and all my glory and honor goes to him. And sometimes I'm just kind of going through daily life. Now, obviously, his place is always number one. I'm not justifying it falling off, but Paul recognizes. He doesn't say, hey, an unwavering love or an unchanging love. He says, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Do you have an undying love for Jesus today, church? Do you have a love for Jesus that that can stand the test of time, that can stand the, the circumstances of life? Do you have a love for Jesus that, man, even when things aren't going so great, even when things seem to be completely off track, that, you know what, I still love him. I still have this love for him, or vice versa. Some of us, we need a love for Jesus that, that withstands the good times. Man, sometimes it's the good times where it's easy to drift. It's the good times where it's easy to forget him, and, and we come to him when things start to fall apart. It's when we hit rock bottom that we come back to him, and we get our life right, and we realize something needs to be changed. I don't know which of those you are, that, that, that you're better loving Jesus in the good times or better loving Jesus in the bad times, but I know all of us have, have times where we kind of dip, some, some, some ups and some downs, and I think maturity means those highs don't get as high and those lows don't get as low, right? Like we're getting to a more steady faith, but the reality is it's not always going to look the same. It's not always going to feel the same, but Paul says, grace to you who love our Lord Jesus with an undying love. Can we love him with a love that never dies, with a love that never goes out? That is the call. That is the challenge this morning. When we started this series, we we went to the first place where this church appears in Scripture. We went to the book of Acts. And we looked in the book of Acts at how this church actually got started and what was going on as Paul first appeared there. And people are getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. And this church is on fire. And they're excited. And God's kind of exploding through this area, man. People are, are getting saved left and right. As we close this series, after we've seen so much that God has done, we've seen how, how we can pray for love and power for wisdom and revelation. We've seen how we can find our identity in Christ in Ephesians chapter 1. We've seen in Ephesians chapter 2 how he's actually raised us from death to life, how I was dead, but I'm not dead anymore. Now I'm alive because of what Jesus has done for me. We've seen in Ephesians that, that God has called us to live a separated life. That we've been called to live like God the Father, to follow his example as dearly loved children. We've seen how we're supposed to operate as husbands and wives, as parents and children, as bosses, as employees. We've seen how we're able to take up the full armor of God and be ready for the attacks that come our way. We've seen some awesome, awesome stuff the last few weeks. Well, I want us to wrap us up by, by seeing the end of the church of Ephesus in the Bible. We saw the beginning in the book of Acts. We read through the, the six chapters of Ephesus. 
what the book of Ephesus or Ephesians is now closed, but the book on the church of Ephesus is not. There's one more place where they appear. And so if you'll turn with me to Revelation chapter 2, I want to show you what happens after this letter. Uh, Bible scholars don't know exactly how much distance there is between the book of Ephesians and the book of Revelations. Most are going to agree somewhere around 30 years. So really somewhere between 25 years and 35 years later, another record comes. Another letter is written to the church in Ephesus, and it's in the book of Revelation, starting in chapter 2. If you're familiar with Revelation, it's this, this apocalyptic book, right? It tells us about the end times. It's got some crazy stuff in it. But Jesus appears to the apostle John, and he gives him letters to seven different churches. He says, there's seven churches in Asia Minor, which is now Turkey, that I want you to write specific letters to. I want to communicate something specific to these churches. And this was also what was considered a circular letter. In other words, whoever John sent with the letter first went to church one, and then to church two, on down the line until all seven churches had received this. The church in Ephesus that we've been reading about the last 13 weeks is the first church that receives the book of Revelation. They're the first place where this incredible vision that the Apostle John has arrives. And God's got some specific things he wants to say through Jesus, through John, to the church in uh, in Ephesians. Would you read this with me? Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 1. He says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write this. And that word angel is the messenger or or the pastors. Man, he's writing it to this church. He says, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. What are the seven stars and the seven lampstands? There's a lot of theories, but I'll just say this. I don't know. Um, (laughs) Can I just get that out of the way? I'm sorry if you think I got it all figured out. I don't. You got the wrong pastor. Um, I can tell you what I think, but I don't think it's super important this morning. Um, I don't know for sure. here, But we're going to talk about what I am confident in. Verse 2, he says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So he starts by giving us some, some legitimate compliments. You've persevered. You've pushed through. You've served faithfully. You, you've served even through hardships. You've served even through, through false prophets, false apostles who try to come to you and tell you things and you recognize, no, that's not what the Word of God says. That's not who Jesus is. You, you don't tolerate wickedness in your midst. You recognize, man, if that's sinful, we're going to stay far from it, man. You've got some real strengths, Ephesus. He starts by building them up, but then he says this in verse 4, the tone changes. He says, yet I hold this against you. Can you imagine the first time, as this is read publicly, to the church at Ephesus, they're bracing for something, aren't they? I mean, this is from the mouth of Jesus to them. And Jesus says to this church, yet I hold this against you. He says, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Ouch. You served me faithfully. You've done all the right things. You haven't gotten to wickedness. You haven't gotten into sin. You haven't embraced false teachings. You've done everything right, but your heart isn't where it used to be. I used to have your heart. Now all I have is your actions. How many of us in modern day American Christianity get so focused on the right actions and we lose the right heart? 
how many of us get so focused on, I got to do this for God and serve God this way and make sure I do this. And we turn Christianity into a to-do list where I check all the right boxes. But Jesus says, I don't want your to-do list. I want your heart. I'm not happy with you just doing the right things. I want you to love me. I want to be first right here, not just first out here. What a challenging word. This church that, that 40, 50 years ago when the book of Acts was written was on fire, was seeing explosive growth for Jesus. 30, 35 years ago when Ephesians was written, they were solid. They were grounded. They had it right. Paul even taught them how to pray for love and for power and somewhere between Ephesians chapter 3 and Revelation chapter 2, it just became routine. It just became what they did. This is what we do. We're Ephesians. We're followers of Jesus, so this is what we do. But they lost their heart. And Jesus says, I'm not content with you just living for me. I want you to live with me. I want intimacy with you. I want closeness with you. I didn't save you just so you could go out and do a lot of right things. I saved you so we could be together. So we could have relationship. So we could be close. Church, I'll be real. Sometimes it's a lot easier to check off the boxes and forget the heart. Sometimes it's, you know what that is? It's called religion. Jesus didn't come to give us religion. He came to give us a relationship. And this incredible church in Ephesus that God used for such amazing things over time and over the passing of one generation to the next, it went from mom and dad got it and God had their heart to the kids came up and they're running the church and God doesn't have their heart. They just know what they were taught how to do. They learned how to live for God, but they didn't learn how to live with God. And Jesus says, you missed it. You missed the point. You missed it. When serving God flows out of anything but love for God, it misses the point. Here's some ways that we can do that. Here's some ways that we can serve God but not do it out of love for God. Maybe you've experienced some of this in your life. Number one, we can serve God out of fear. Well, if I don't do this, he's going to be mad at me. If I don't do this, he's going to punish me. If I don't do this, he's going to be disappointed in me. And sometimes fear can be a good motivator. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes I, we, you know, we, we don't cross the busy street, so we don't get run over because we're afraid of getting hit by a car, right? Like if the kid touches the hot pan, they learn never, never going to touch that hot pan again, right? Like fear can be, can be a good thing, and there is a fear of God that is holy and that is right. But if all we ever do is serve God out of fear, we're missing it because he ain't mad at you. He loves you, and he wants relationship with you. So if we serve God out of fear solely and only, we'll miss the point. We can serve God out of habit. Anybody ever done this? Why am I at church today? Because I go to church on Sunday mornings, right? That's my weekly routine. It's just what we do. And, man, I praise God for people who have made that their habit, who have made their, their routine. And let's be real. Sometimes I'm a pastor. There's 52 Sundays out of the year. There's probably five or six where I'm like, man, I can sleep in today. It would be all right, Lord Jesus, but I got to be at church, so I'm here, right? Like, I, I get it, but if we're coming 52 out of 52 just out of habit, 
just because that's where we do it, or, or we come once a month out of habit, that's, a, that's the one Sunday we do show up, and that's just out of habit. Man, if, if, if we're honoring God, if we're living for God, if we're obeying God, just because it's the way it's always been done, it's the way I've always lived my life, and there's no love for Jesus in it, we're missing the point. I'm not saying God's going to punish you for it. I'm not saying he's mad at you for it. I'm just saying there's a better reason to serve God. Fear is not the right reason to serve God. Habit is not the right reason to serve God. Here's another one. We can serve God out of cultural or family identity. Well, I'm from the South, and this is what we do. Right? Well, man, this is, this is the way that my family's always done it. And, and, and I think this is really dangerous when we start giving this to our kids. Why do we do this? Well, it's because this is where we're from. Well, it's because this is what our family does. Man, we got to have a better reason for that. If you're, if you're telling your kids, man, we go to church because this is just what our family does, that's not a good answer. They're going to run. If you're telling your kids we read the Bible because this is just what our family does, they're going to tune it out. There's got to be a deeper reason. There's got to be a better heart behind it. This is why one generation can get disconnected and go through the motions and have the right habits and the right lifestyle but the wrong heart. This is, I think, what happened in Ephesians is, hey, this is what we do. This is how we do it. This is what you're supposed to do. But they missed the reason behind it. They missed the heart is I do this because I love Jesus. I do this because he died for me. I do this because he's got a plan for my life. That's why I serve him. And if we disconnect what we do from our heart, it's going to become miserable, right? He said, you persevered. You haven't even grown weary, so they haven't even gotten to the point yet where they they got burned out and tapped out, but I guarantee you that point's coming if he doesn't have their heart. We got to teach our next generation. We got to teach ourselves. Why do I do this? Because I got a God who loved me so much that he split heaven and came to earth and to die in my place to bring me into his family so I could have relationship and intimacy with him. And so I do the right things to honor him because he's worth it. And I pursue him because I want to know him because he wants to know me. And that's amazing. Not just because that's how we do it in the South. Not just because I'm an American and we're a Christian nation, right? We do it because Jesus died for me, and he's worth it. And and, and it should blow our minds every day that the creator of the world wants a relationship with me. With me. With little old me, seven billion whatever people on planet Earth. And he wants to know me. He wants me to know him. And so this incredible church that we've just spent the last 14 weeks reading about, that we've discovered so many things because God did such incredible things in them. In one generation, another generation rose up that did it right and missed it. And Jesus says, don't miss it because I love you. Because I'm here. Because you can know me. This is not just a rule book. This is not just basic instructions before leaving earth, right? Like those are nice little cute catchy sayings. This is an open door to intimacy with the creator of the world. And if we miss that, we miss everything. 
We miss out on the incredible, abundant life that Jesus came to give us. The abundant life comes from relationship with him. It comes from knowing him. It comes from hearing his voice. It comes from walking with him, not from just doing all the right stuff. So I don't know how many of us here today this message is for. I don't know how many of us here today have maybe grown to a place where where we're serving Jesus out of habit or we're serving him out of fear or we're serving him out of family identity or culture identity or or any other reason other than I'm serving Jesus because Jesus is stinking awesome. But if we've missed it, then I believe the warning to the church in Ephesus is a warning to us today. I want your heart. I need your heart. I'm after your heart, Jesus would say to us today. Check this out. I don't know if you remember this, but look at how Paul closed the book of Ephesians. Go back with me to Ephesians chapter 6, the last two verses. He said, peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this. He says, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying Love. The last words to the church at Ephesus. Don't let your love die. The very next time in scripture that we find the church at Ephesus. Their love's dead. God knew. He knew what was coming. I don't know if Paul knew. I don't know if Paul had any idea. He may have just thought this sounds really good and it's a good way to end this letter. And, you know, then I'll put my little heart in my signature. I love you. I don't know. Like... He didn't do that. I'm sure of that. Uh, but, but I don't know if Paul knew what was coming, but the Holy Spirit inside Paul knew what was coming. And so he gives the Ephesians the very last words from the mouth of God to the church at Ephesus in the book of Ephesians is grace to those who love our Lord Jesus with an undying love. Don't let your love die. I think this is awesome. Because it tells us that God loves us even when he knows we aren't going to love him back. It tells us that God loves us even when he knows we'll only love him for a season. Or only love him temporarily. Because verse 23 right before that said this, love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So before he ever got to saying, don't let your love die, he says, don't forget he loves you. Why do I not let my love die? Well, I love him because he first loved me. And I keep Loving him because he keeps on loving me. Right? So God saw this coming. He knew what was ahead for the Ephesians. And he gave them this instruction. Don't let your love die. So here's my question today. How many of us are here today? If we're real honest, we're at a place where maybe my love's not dead, but it's a little cold. I'm not at a passion high right now. Man, maybe I spent the summer and and I got distracted maybe it's been a long time since I've been close maybe I've never been close maybe I got burned by somebody in the church or 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 some Christian and or some family member who represented Jesus and it hurt and it's caused me to separate from him what do I do if I'm not at the place that I want to be or not at the place where I once was What do I do if my passion level isn't high? What do I do when the feelings aren't there? Well, we're going to talk about feelings the next four weeks. We're going to get all up in our feelings. But I want to give you this today, just a a couple encouragements as we wrap up our discussion on Ephesians. First thing is this, serve God in faith while the feelings aren't there. The message today is not, if you're not feeling it, then quit doing the right thing. 
right? Let's just make sure we put that disclaimer out there. The message is not, man, if you're not feeling it, then just go run wild and embrace everything the world has to offer. Go do the prodigal son thing. That's going to, you're going to end up in a place you don't want to be. That's not the message. So the, the first thing is keep doing the right thing even when you're not feeling it, right? Keep, keep on pursuing. Keep on trying. Keep on serving. Keep persevering. He, he recognized their perseverance. He said, you haven't grown weary, and he spoke positively of that. So don't grow weary. Keep persevering. Revelation 2.5 will guide us through our next steps from there. He goes on to say this. He says, after he says that, that your love has grown cold. After he says, I have this against you, you've forsaken the love you had at first. He says, consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So the first thing he tells us to do, number two, is remember where you have been and what God has done. He says, remember where you've fallen from. In other words, remember that place you once had. Remember what I did in your life. I remember when I was a teenager, I heard uh, a, a youth evangelist come and speak, and he was talking. I don't even remember what story it was. I think it was Jacob in, in the book of Genesis, but somewhere in the Old Testament where somebody built an altar. And he said, man, all through the Old Testament, when God showed up, when God's presence came somewhere, when God did something great, they would build an altar. They'd gather all these rocks, and they'd build a monument to what happened there. And he said they built an altar because that's where God altered their life. And that's a really catchy thing. Now, obviously, theologically, they didn't speak English, so that's not what altar means, but whatever. Right? It's easy to remember. It connects. I get it. So he said they built an altar because that's where God altered their life. If your love has grown cold today, I encourage you, go back to the moment where God altered your life. What's the last thing God did where you knew that was God and nobody else? What's the last thing that happened in your life when, man, I know I'm in God's presence and there's nothing anybody can tell me different? Man, go back to that thing that God did. There's a reason why we have those moments in our life. Let me be real, guys. I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor now for a decently long amount of time. I don't just walk in the presence of God every day where, man, I'm just floating through on the Holy Spirit high. Like, I wish I did and maybe one day I'll get there. I haven't got to that place in maturity yet. Sometimes I got to go back to stuff. Sometimes I got to remember. Sometimes I got to remind myself, yes, that's what God did. That's what God said. That's how God showed up in my life. Sometimes I got to go back to those places where he altered something. Thank you. So remember where you have been and remember what God has done. Verse 5 says, consider how far you have fallen. Then it says, repent. So our third step, if, if we're at a place where we're not feeling it today, is repent of whatever has kept you from loving him. Maybe you've just gotten distracted. Maybe you've gotten busy. Man, a schedule can keep me from loving Jesus sometimes. Sometimes serving Jesus can keep me from loving Jesus because I'm so busy trying to do the right stuff and I forget to spend time with the one who did the stuff. Right? So repent of whatever it is that's between you and him. Maybe you can't identify it, man. Then maybe just... Okay, God, I don't even know what it is, but I'm sorry that I'm at this place. The thing that we, that we always say I think is so true is that if, man, there, there's a, you're not at the same place you were with God before, you're not as close to him as you once were, he's not the one who moved, right? Like, we're the one who moved. So recognize, okay, God, I don't even know what I did to move over here. If you don't, obviously, if you know it, then just put a name on it. But God, I don't even know how I ended up here. I don't know how I ended up in this place, but I'm sorry. So Repent. And then he says, do the things you did at first. Fourth thing to do if you're not feeling it today is go back to what you did when your love for God was the strongest. 
By the way, everything on those last three points is exactly the same advice we give to married couples when marriage starts to drift apart. It's, it's great advice for resurrecting love for anything. If there's something you need to resurrect your passion for, Revelation 2, the letter to Ephesus is the place to go. Repent, do the things you did at first, remember the heights from which you have fallen. Go back to, what what'd you do when you loved God the most? Well, I was in the Word daily. Well, I, I listened to a lot of worship music. I didn't listen to any, really anything else. Man, I, I was praying for these things. I was surrounding myself with these people. I was involved in this ministry. I went to this small group. Like, what, what was it that you were doing when you were closest to him? Go back to that. And I'm not saying, like, that means you got to move back to a town you used to live in. or Right? Like, I'm not saying, like, leave. I'm just saying, like, go back to the things that got you to that place. Obviously, God moves us into new seasons and new places, but, but what, were the, what was the lifestyle you were living? How were you spending that time with him? Now, let me say this. I can't say you do those four things and snap your fingers, and all of a sudden, whew, we got a great blazing inferno for Jesus. I wish I could promise you that. The reality is sometimes we go through deserts. Sometimes we go through wilderness seasons. Sometimes I think God removes the emotions so that we can demonstrate that, God, I'm going to serve you even when I don't feel it. So that we can learn to do that. Because if all we ever do is, is serve him when we feel it, then when the emotions inevitably leave because something bad's going to happen in your life, then your faith is shaking. So he's got to bring us to a place of maturity where we can follow him and seek him and pursue him even when we don't feel it. So just because you're not feeling it doesn't mean everything is wrong. It might just mean God's in the process of teaching you something and growing you in something. But if you recognize, man, my love isn't strong. I'm not, not, not saying that you don't feel him the same way you felt him. I'm saying, man, the reality is I, he's not on the throne in my heart anymore. I'm just going through motions. If that's you, then, man, I, I think these four things will help you to reignite that. doesn't mean it'll happen right away. doesn't mean it'll happen overnight. Sometimes... It takes time and a process. But stay faithful through the process. Don't grow weary. Keep persevering. And I believe we'll get back to the place where God wants us to be. I believe the things that you did at first will help kickstart the feelings that you had at first. So this letter to Ephesus in Revelation continues on. There's two more verses. He says, but you have this in your favor. So, so this is like John Maxwell. Jesus employs the sandwich method. He gives the compliment, he gives the criticism, and then he comes back to the compliment. It's like leadership 101. That's where John Maxwell got it from Jesus, not the other way around. Just to clarify, he said this. He said, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You know what the tree of life is? You know why Adam and Eve had to get kicked out of the Garden of Eden? Because they ate from the wrong fruit that God told them not to eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but also because the tree of life was there. And if you eat of the tree of life, you'll live forever. And if God would have let them eat from the tree of life at a place where they were separated from him, they would have been separated from him forever. So in his grace, he had to separate them from the Garden of Eden, separate the tree of life so none of us can get to it until we're at a place where he's restored us and brought us back to the right place. But that day is coming. For his people, for his church. There's one day, I don't know what the fruit on the tree of life tastes like, but I guarantee you it's pretty awesome. Right? I just, I grubbed on some watermelon last night. Praise Jesus for watermelon. Man. Right? Like, it's better than that. It's better than cold watermelon fresh out the fridge. Right? Like, the tree of life is going to be amazing, and we partake of it, and we'll live with him forever because at that place we're fully restored to what he created us to be. 
to him who overcomes, to him who is victorious, to the one, to the church, to the individual, to the family that pushes through the good days and the bad days, that pushes through the good feelings and the bad feelings, that recognizes he's worth it every single day. That's the promise. The fruit of the tree of life is coming for us. So as we get ready to close in a few moments today, as you probably noticed when you came in, we've got two tables up here. We're going to partake of communion. And Josh, if you'll go ahead and come down for me. Um, I believe communion is one of the best things that I've ever experienced to help me re-kickstart my love for Jesus. It's a chance where we actually get to partake in his death, his resurrection. It's the place where we come face to face once again with the sacrifice he made for us. Where he says, man, do this in remembrance of me. How do I get back to the heights from that I've fallen from? I remember what he did. And so we're going to do this as we finish this series. In fact, the amazing thing that God's brilliance and wisdom is we had actually planned to do communion today when this was not supposed to be part of this series. This series went longer than it was supposed to. And I told Jimmy like four weeks ago, I was like, hey, first Sunday of August, we need to do communion. We haven't done communion for a while. And then the series stretched out, and we wrapped up with Revelation. It's like, oh, man, how do we get back to the place? God already knew. How do we get back to the place where we're giving him our heart, where we've restored our first love? This is one of the steps. It's not the only way. It's not the perfect way, but it's a way for us to get back to that place. So just a moment. I'm going to pray, and after I do, I'm going to invite the first couple rows to get up. We've got these tables in the corner for you. Grab a piece of bread, grab some juice. I have to apologize to all of our gluten-free people. I totally forgot to have the gluten-free option this time. So if you, are, if you need to not eat gluten, um, I believe you can just take bread in faith and not, not actually eat it uh, and just represent. Um, so you, you figure that out for yourself, what that needs to look like. I'm sorry. Uh, that will not happen again. That's on me. Uh, but for the rest of us, go ahead and grab a, the bread, and hopefully all of us can grab the juice. Um, and, and take it back to your seat. We're going to worship for a couple of minutes, and then we'll come back together and partake of communion. So would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that you have designed for us to have intimacy with you, that you've designed for us to be close for you, to you. You didn't just give us a bunch of rules and instructions to go live out a religion, but you sent your son to die for us so we could have relationship with our maker. So God, we pray today would be a day of relationship. God, today would be a day of restoring fellowship for those who have maybe drifted. Today would be a day of, of reawakening hearts that have maybe grown cold. God, we ask that as we take these next few minutes to focus in on the sacrifice of Jesus, that it would become real to us once again. That you would remind us of, of your great love for us. You remind us of your great sacrifice for us that we would recognize how incredible you are. Thank you for what you're going to do today. In Jesus' name.